there are advantages to fear, right? We have that for a reason. And in today's modern world, I think we can use it. It focuses us, right? Like, whoosh, like when you're scared of something, that's all you can focus on. Welcome to Give a Heck. I am your host, Dwight Heck, and for much of my life, lived my life in quiet desperation, wondering how I was going to pay the bills, take vacations, save for retirement, and one day wondering if I would get off the hamster wheel of life and have purpose. A life that most of society lives, which takes us to work, then home, then repeat, and pays us hopefully enough just to survive. The harsh truth that most live with more months than money and have no idea how to live life on purpose, not by accident. This ensures the mass majority are living not just financially broke, however emotionally and mentally as well due to financial pressures. In each episode, I will introduce you to thoughts, ideas, and guests that can help you to learn how you too can live life on purpose, not by accident. Good day, and welcome to Give a Heck. On today's show, I welcome Emily Sander. Emily has been in business world for 15 plus years and has led numerous client-facing teams in rapid growth environments. Emily has had a lot of fun throughout her career from being part of the testing team for the first Kindle device, being part of a six-person startup, building a global client management team from scratch, scaling people and processes at more established companies and serving as chief of staff for CEO and leadership team. Emily several years ago realized that helping people get to the next level was the most rewarding part of her career. Emily then decided to pursue coaching full-time. Emily is a C-suite executive turned leadership coach and is the founder of Next Level Coaching. And as an ICF certified coach, she helps business professionals step into effective leadership with one-on-one -on -one coaching. Emily has also written two books, Hacking Executive Leadership and an insider's perspective on the chief of staff. I'd like to welcome you to the show, Emily. Thanks so much for agreeing to come on and share with us some of your life journey. Thank you so much for having me, Dwight. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. I look forward to our conversation. So Emily, one of the things I focus on with my guests is their origin story. And for those new to the show that are watching or listening, I focus on the origin story because really at the end of the day, no decision as an adult that we make isn't somehow directly affected by what we went through as children. The learned behaviors we've learned, whether good, bad, or different. Um, but regardless of that, Emily, if you could do me a favor and share with the audience whatever you feel comfortable with from your earliest recollections to where you are today. Sure. So uh, my favorite superhero is Superman. And I like him because... Um, he uses his powers for good and he never gives up and he was adopted just like me. So I was born in Seoul, South Korea, and then I was adopted as a five and a half month old baby and brought over to, uh, to the States. And I grew up in the Seattle area. And so, uh, I remember my dad would read me bedtime stories when it was his turn to to put me to bed and he would read me comic books instead of traditional stories and he knew that i liked superman and that was my favorite one and so when i went to school 
and kids, you know, um, I'm from Korea, my parents are white. And so kids would say, oh, that's not your real mom and dad or what happened, you know, to your real mom and dad. And I was kind of having a bit of a rough time with things. He, I was having a rough time with being adopted and he reminded me, hey, M, Superman is adopted too. And I thought, oh, oh my gosh. So I just, that flipped uh, adoption for me being cool. It was now a cool thing and it was now a strength. And so I always, I always, uh, remember that moment fondly um, from my childhood. And I also have carried through, you know, I've thought about the choices we make or the whys in our road where you can go one way or the other and which which of those have had the greatest impact. And by far, by far for me, it's being adopted into the family that I was. And that was, you know, I had no control over that, but fate or the universe or whatever took me there. And so I often think, okay, you know, how much behind the scenes stuff is happening and how do my choices impact where I am and all these different factors that are coming together. So that's kind of a, that's kind of maybe a starting point for, for my origin story, which whenever you say that I'm reminded of like the Marvel movie and, and the superheroes origin story. So I thought I'd fold in Superman. Oh, that's awesome. So, and you're, you're curious though, how did your do you, you obviously know the origin of you being adopted? So you were adopted from Seoul, South Korea, where your and your parents were from in the U.S. Were they traveling, or were they did they specifically were they looking to adopt outside of the U.S.? Do you know how it came about? Yeah, so my dad's best friend had adopted um, a baby girl, Michelle, from Korea, and so that's where he got the idea. And so uh, my mom had my brother from a previous marriage. And so they kind of had a boy. And my my dad always said, I always wanted a girl because they're more interesting. <laughs> so they went to get me uh, in that way. Oh, that's, that's, that's great. Like, that's a good, a good way to start. And then obviously, just from the communication, you were close with your father um, growing up. And I've never heard of that before. Somebody reading like I read, being a single dad of five kids, they're all adults now. I read a lot to them, but I never read them comic books. So I was a comic book fan myself growing up. Um, Superman being one of them, Batman, even comic books like Richie Rich for those that are um, old enough to even know what comic book that is. Um, but yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty interesting. He, he had, uh, like the originals of all these, like the, you know, the first Superman one where he's holding the car and it's kind of tilted down and he's holding it up. He had those, he had like the flash comic books and Batman and all these things. And his mom told him to clean his room and she asked again and again and again, and he didn't do it. And so she cleaned his room for him and he threw away some of his comic books, which of course now would be worth quite a lot but lesson oh, yeah. to all of us to, to clean your room when your mom when your mom asks you to <laughs> yeah it, it sounds like he's a dc fan though yeah he's, he's he yeah. nerds out pretty hard he he was all into comic books he he also nerded out on like uh astronauts so the nasa program which was all the rage when he was growing up and he has these cute little letters that um he would write to the astronauts um and then like their secretaries i think like type something back to him and so he has those those notes that were signed from like buzz aldrin or all the different people who were in the nasa program at that time but yeah he's he's a he's a nerd but he's the most endearing nerd uh you could you could have so yeah it's it's 
fantastic. You had a great relationship with him, of course, um, growing up. And that's, that's key. That's one thing I find that most people say, you know, you have to have a great relationship and you have to have that yin and yang between a, a, a mom and a dad. Like I was closer to my mom and to my dad. It's just, it, it was, it is what it is. She was the one that read to me. She's the one that taught me a lot of different things. My dad was a workaholic and he taught me things when I started working for him as a young teen, but I learned more from my mom. I was really close to her and she would read to me all the time too, right? Again, not comic books, but you know, we, and why I bring that up is those watching or listening, you can have children if you're a single parent and they can, you can be their center of their world and they're still going to have a great life, right? You don't need to have both parents interacting in a child's life all the time. Society would have us believe that, but I don't agree. I look at my five children and being the mom and the dad, they grew up pretty well, right? So, and they're, and they're doing, they're prospering as adults. And yes, we'd all like to have that mom and dad, but sometimes sure. it just doesn't happen. I think I read this study that says if a kid has one person who loves them unconditionally and, and has their back, you know, that feeling when I can trust you, I can lead into you because you have my back, you want what's best for me, you sometimes want what's best for me more than I do. If you have one person like that, you'll succeed, the chances are. Um, unfortunately, a lot of people don't, which is tragic and sad. But I think if if a kid has one person and, you know, consistently, so you were, a, you were a dad and you were around a lot, they have a great chance of, you know, being successful and kind of being well-balanced and having all of the things they need to get launched. Well, and then when they become adults, when we become adults and we have those learned behaviors from parents, I have friends that both parents, they had both parents, just like myself, but both parents were totally disconnected from their lives. Mm -hmm. And everything was about me, 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 right? It wasn't about the kids were more of, you know, an accomplishment, not a reality of, of connection. And for me, I sacrificed kids his whole lives. And as adults, they, they tell me stories of things that they seen, you know, that I didn't realize that touched them that may have made them better parents for the ones that have kids. And, and, you know, realizing that we just need to, have that one person like you're saying for some people it's not even their parents it's a grandparent oh could absolutely be an aunt or an uncle but yeah it's so important um it's, it's interesting you bring up that study but yeah i've read lots of studies about it too we just a child wants to feel all the way into adulthood that somebody gives two craps about them right yeah. so oh and yeah. that and that their time is in it's valuable right that their time is valuable in the sense that they're willing to give that time that they could be doing other things with and spend it. And they're truly connected with a child, right? You've got these scheduled, just, scheduled yeah. parents that schedule things with their kids, but it's nothing's off the cuff and, you know, <laughs> don't bother me from this time to this time. And, and, and that can be a reality for certain things, but not a whole child's life. Yeah, I have a I have an open door policy, but I'm I'm busy 23 hours of the day, so I can pencil <laughs> you in. Um, but yeah, I, mean, I, <laughs> I like I, that. I totally agree that it doesn't have to be a parent. So I had I played sports in elementary school and high school and um, intramural uh, co-ed stuff. Beyond that, and I knew kids who came from just horrible family situations and backgrounds, and their coach was kind of this 
stabilizing force who was in a position of authority, but more so guidance and helping them. And, you know, I, I saw with my own eyes the impact someone like that can have. So like people think, oh, it's your coach. It's just your high school coach, but that can have a huge impact on someone when they don't have a lot of stable footing in other areas of their oh, life. Well, love, let's be real. Yeah. They don't have, they don't feel loved. They don't feel like they're, they don't feel like their attention or anything to do with them is worth the other person's time. So I've heard that too. And, and I can think of, of people in my life that were outside of my parents' influence that made a big difference in my life as well. All we want to know is that we're loved and cared for. And, you know, if something can happen and it's a coach, great, right? It, again, I know some really good coaches. I had a really good high school coach that was really supportive I had health issues, but it was really supportive and kind. And he wouldn't let me be that kid that would use the excuses of my health. He'd push me and my mom would be the type of person she'd rather shelter me. Right. So he was, he was more of the guiding force to realize that I had to step outside of my comfort zone, which is what adults today, a lot of them lack and they should have learned when they were children. Right. You gotta, yeah, yeah, toughen them up. And I'm not saying like, you know, go too far the other direction because that's not good. But the world, I wish it was a better place and a nicer place, but it's not. And so you have to, you have to arm kids with the values and the lessons and skills they're gonna need to succeed in life. Um, and that doesn't. Sometimes things aren't fair, and sometimes things go against you, and sometimes you do all the right things, and something bad happens. Like that's just that's part of part of life. I remember um, dad say, I, I would complain in my little kid voice, like, that's not fair. Like, you can't do that. It's not fair. And he would look at me and say, Emily, life's not fair. And you know, it seemed really like, whoa, like crass and kind of harsh at the time. But, you know, it's, it's a valuable lesson. You know, sometimes like teachers, it's not fair they got that grade or it's not fair that someone got a promotion or all these things. And it's, it's sometimes these life lessons that are said not out of spite or trying to discourage you but it's just arming you with with what you need one one thing that i remember back the, this coach and this player um this player uh her name was cameo and she was really really good like she was one of our best forwards on the team and so everyone kind of said oh she's the soccer player right like that was her identity and the coach of our team always talked about other aspects of her like what a good person she was and how she handled her studies and how she did this with you know the other players and um it wasn't until i graduated that i finally put that together that he was trying to consciously not let her identity be tied to a soccer player because she might not might not always be a top soccer player he was trying to build her up in other areas and i just remember just seeing that and clicking into that. And I was like, oh my gosh, he was, he was thinking about those things for the full, you know, full three, four years he worked with her. No, they give her a different identity than being labeled. Like you get, you look at it high school label, they label people jocks, they label people brainiacs, they label people nerds. And, and really that coach did that person a huge favor and whether you realized it or not, there's lots of things that I look back in my, you know, school years, even my college years where it, it dawned on me as I got older, all of a sudden I had this light bulb go off and that lesson that that person 
taught me or was trying to teach me, I just wasn't in the right headspace. Sometimes we're just not mentally, you know, mature enough. And, yeah. you know, we're just not ready to connect. So they it, the labeling happens still today so often in companies too. I see it when I'm dealing with businesses and and I'll talk to somebody or even somebody in a career and they'll say, oh, this person said this about me. And it's a label. And mm-hmm. some people get off on that. They like being labeled as, you know, the go-to person. And other people are just like, I'm so much more than that. I'm so much more in depth. And it always goes back to, that conversation and asking people questions and getting responses, asking questions again to get to the meat of their, their own origin of, you know, what's keeping them stuck. I see performance issues for people because of their stuckness from when they were children, their monsters that they were taught or monsters they were taught in college. And because somebody labeled them like a labeling frustrates me, to be honest, like I get it. A doctor is labeled because they're a doctor, a lawyer is labeled because they're a lawyer. But there's so much more than that, right? People listening, your doctor is so much more than just a doctor. He has his own issues. She has her own issues at home or whatever the case may be. Lawyers, accountants, engineers, life coaches, right? Business coaches. We all have things, but we get labeled so often. And then people just stick us with that label. And then if we're not as good as they think we should be, we get colored with a different brush. And all of a sudden we're not the person they thought we were because they've never actually opened up the doors of that person's life and looked to see what they're, what else do they stand for? Well, before we're anything else, we're a human being, right? So like that's baselining all of us. And so I think we have to remember that, you know, yeah, you are a doctor, you went to medical school. Um, By the way, if you're a doctor, you're probably very driven, you have a certain type A, you're kind of in a, in a certain mindset. And so with that comes, uh, comes disadvantages. So I've, I've heard that doctors are the most stressed and they're the most hard on themselves and all these different things, even though they're working in the health profession. Um, so I think we have to remember we're all human at the, at the beginning and end of the day. And to your point, I think it's, um, you know, take doctor for instance, well, there's thousands of doctors. There's thousands of kinds of doctors. So not only specialties, but just like personalities and all those things. Um, you can slap labels on pretty much anything, you know, race, or I'm American, or I'm a woman or whatever. Well, there's lots of different kinds of those within that. So I think we often take a shortcut or try to take it like, oh, you're a that. So I know everything there is to know about you. And I'm going to form an opinion before I even ask one question or try to get to know you, which is, which is, you know, it can be a slippery slope and get real dangerous, but it's also like you're 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 taking away the opportunity to really get to know someone and really get to know the nuances of someone. And that's where, like, for me, like the joy comes out of like, oh, I know someone's idiosyncrasies, like, oh, I know what they're scared of. I know what they're motivated by. I'm really getting to know this person. Um, I remember once I had this coworker and he and I didn't get along for a long, long time, but we were trying to work on it and we're trying to like circle the wagons and figure out how we could connect. And there was this one time where he came in my office and was like, Emily, can I talk to you? And I said, yeah, of course, go ahead. And he started to confide in me. He basically like something had gone wrong. He was, I was like, no way. Like this is, you know, 18 months after um, we met and we like clashed and butted heads. And now he's in my office 
and he's scared and he's confiding in me. And I thought, okay, this is where, like, this is where a connection happens. And you don't get that by saying, oh, you're just a sales guy. Oh, you're just an egocentric, flashy person. So how do you, so we get labeled, we get people that automatically, that's because I've had to work on this. I had a mentor's 30 years ago, start telling me, well, you know what, if somebody labels somebody else before you've ever met them and said, oh, you're going to meet John or you're going to meet Sally and this is what they're like and this and this and that, or this is their position. And it would race into my mindset what I had heard about somebody that does that or that what they've said to me is swimming around in my brain before I even meet that person. And we get preconceived, as you mentioned, preconceived thoughts and, and emotions about the circumstance. We label that person without even communicating. I know I've had to develop certain things to push that aside and tell myself this person is, as you mentioned, which is a great way to put it, we're all human beings, first and foremost, I'm going to talk to this person as me, my kind, humble human personality. I'm going to ask them questions. I'm going to find out who they are and not have prejudgment of them because of somebody else. Is there anything that you would recommend when you meet people or you've had somebody give you a label about somebody else? Yeah, I mean, it would, you know, go in with a blank slate and and pretend that you don't know anything about this person because you really don't when you first meet someone and then um like a like a mental exercise you can play is okay kind of craft that story or that quick profile you have of someone and then make up an opposite story or make up a completely different story it doesn't have to be true you don't have to believe it but what that does is it gives you mental dexterity and flexibility where okay i'm i'm in an open i'm in an open field here and so I actually had a client who who was like she knew I make snap judgments and I go in you know hard I go in guns blazing with someone and I and I get burned by it because I don't know and for her she was so far leaning into it one direction she had to go the opposite so whatever she thought about someone going in she would make a story that was that was completely opposite and it, that just had her open her perspective a little bit and open that space so she could have that initial conversation or two and make her own make her own opinion so you can have fun with it like that oh I, I agree i know my own 21 years doing what i'm doing when you know coaching clients from individuals the companies in regards to finance a lot of it has to do a lot of the coaching i initially do is life skill coaching it's peeling back the layers of the onion and i have i've had to get to a point emily that they'll you know i'll say well tell me something about yourself and realizing, you know, that initial stuff they're telling me, that's that's so superficial and yeah. surface. And I need to I need to ask more good questions. Again, for those listening and watching, good questions, there is difference between a question and a good question, <laughs> right? And asking those good questions, and all of a sudden it's like you open into a whole different reality of that person by asking questions and not just taking that superficial response from anybody. It can just be meeting a new friend, a new you know, colleague at work or a new client. Never take what people first say as face value because you're, you're hurting them, but you're hurting yourself because they could be somebody that could totally launch your thought process in a different way for your own life because everybody has some value to teach us. Totally, totally. Be? I mean, there's so many, to, so many things to grasp onto there, but going into every conversation, 
knowing that I have something to learn from this person. So I've, I've led teams, I've managed, you know, meetings and everything. And I try to try really hard to go in saying, I need, I need to remember to learn from my team members for the people who work for me. Um, when you meet someone, you're seeing the tip of the iceberg, right? You're seeing maybe like one tenth of their whole story, if that, and you can kind of scratch the surface with your fingernail and not get even further. Um, a lot of people will present themselves in a certain way too, right? So when you ask them, like, tell me about yourself, they'll give you the highlight reel or they'll give you what they want you to hear and to really get to know them and what makes them tick, um, it's a couple layers deeper. And that can take time, right? No one's gonna like, oh, here's my most vulnerable thing, stranger, here you go, please do with that what you will. So it takes time and trust and um, sharing and being transparent on your end. But I think one of the things that I had to learn was invest time in doing those types of things and building those relationships. I was very, I am very business oriented and task oriented and let's go, go, go. And I don't care what happened to your sister's cat's boyfriend last weekend with climbing up a tree and getting like, I don't care. Like that has nothing to do with what we're talking about now. Yet for some people, that's a really important connection point and a really big opportunity to get to know them and what's, what's important to them, even though it might not cross your radar. And so being open, uh, being open to that. I remember with this individual where we didn't get along at the beginning and then we found our way, I knew that being successful to him was very important. Like he was very driven. He was very career minded. He was very money motivated and he wanted to be successful. Like at, no, at everything else, he wanted to be successful. And I was like, hmm, okay, I have my idea of success, but I didn't know his. And so I was, I was asking questions and trying to observe, you know, what does that mean for him? Um, and then get the behind the scenes, like, why is that important to you? And, you know, long story short, he grew up in a family where he didn't have a home for a long time. And he was hopping around to extended family and friends and sleeping on people's couches. And so him, um, success meant I don't ever have to worry about money and and being in sales he was very good at that and so he wanted to make sure he was he was never in that position and his and his kids weren't in that position either and so being successful to him meant security for him and his family and so once you kind of get to know someone on that level you get to know their kind of foundational intrinsic motivators and then at that point you're dealing with someone who is actually pretty vulnerable because you know that about somebody right and so you have to make sure that you uh, are, are a trustworthy vessel for that and are treating it with uh, with respect but that's where you really get to know people oh yeah absolutely and i've had there's motivational people that'll say you should never share anything at work it can be used against you and that person might feel that way, that person that took 18 months to talk to you, to be vulnerable. But there's circumstances where that bites people too, because that vulnerability does get used against them, right? But in most cases, that vulnerability helps them connect better at their job. They feel safe around you. And now they have a confidant they can go speak to. But you're right. You don't really, you know, at the end of the day, we don't care about somebody's cat, or their brother-in-law <laughs> or all that stuff. But sometimes I've dealt with people and we're sitting down and we're talking about their life and leading up to where they, where they're, you know, they're doing good financially, or maybe they're not doing good financially. And 
I had to stop being that person that initially that was money centric and transactional. Let's get this done. This is going to make a difference in your life. Those superficial meetings don't create long-term longevity with clients and, and, you know, putting that fence around them where other people can't take them as a client because you want, you want long, you want residual clients to stay with you. You want referrals from those clients. And most people just don't understand that that involves them know, liking and trusting you. It involves the fact that you might have to listen to some stories that really your, your brain's going, what the, did you just say, <laughs> you know, it, yeah. because people have nobody else that'll listen to them. And if you're a professional and you're willing to listen to them, there's a lot of times you may not initially have a connection, but they'll remember that you'll see them again. And you could end up with a client. You could end up with a friend and not everything has to be client centric too. Sometimes you can just end up with a, a real good friend. And I've had that happen. And then all of a sudden that real good person will tell somebody else because they've maybe got somebody helping with their stuff. But we just had a conversation. They refer me to somebody else. They don't even refer the people they're using. They'll refer me because we've created that relationship. And at the core of it, we just all want to be heard. And as you mentioned, loved, right? We want a relationship where people actually, when we walk into the room, they see us, they smile and vice versa, right? We have that that connection, even if it's just a superficial work connection, it's better than, than walking into a room and looking at somebody sitting there or a, a woman or a man and going, oh, I got to sit through another two hour meeting with that person <laughs> in the room and they're going to make these kind of comments. And you know what I mean? You, you've been through it. You understand what I'm saying? Well, I think as coaches, you know, something I, I heard and really resonated with is people want to be seen for who they really are. And people are scared to show that because it's like we got all the creepy crawlies, you know, when you when you turn over the rock and everything skitters out. But people really want to be seen for who they are and have that be okay. And so I think in a coaching space, you're a coach, I'm a coach. Part of our job is to create that hour in a day or that space where someone can come in and and be seen for who they are and have that be okay. Now, yes, there might be certain parts of yourself that you're working on or certain things that you want to grow and learn and develop in, which is all well and great. That's what humans are meant to do. We're meant to, we're meant to get better and, and improve ourselves. But I think just when I connect with someone on an intro call or on one of my first sessions with them, when they feel like they're seen and I get you, like someone in the world gets me, they've actually seen me and they've seen the bad stuff too. And they, and they aren't running away and they get me oh my gosh, that opens up a whole new plane of dialogue and a whole new plane of trust. It, 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 um, coaches sometimes get the shortcut to that because you're in such an environment where like, I'm the coach and you're the, you know, coachy, but you can do that in all sorts of relationships where you find those moments where, Hey, you know, if you're going to share who you really are, I'm going to see you for who you really are, warts and all, and it's okay. And when you have those types of moments, um, that's where you build trust or that's where I found you build trust with people. Yeah. I've those initial calls with people and we're sharing stuff and you know, it's more frequently now for me, it used to be a lot of face to face, but you know, over the last, even before the pandemic zoom doing a lot of conference calls, uh, web calls, part of me with people, cause they don't necessarily live close to me. They live in another province for the, you in the U S same as living in another state, and we have those conversations and they'll share stuff with me and 
the nice thing about being able to know how to be vulnerable with somebody else, even though I'm the coaching them and I'm the professional to help them, I don't have a problem dropping down my shield and saying to them, you know what, this is what I've experienced. And if it's, and being completely honest with him about the fact, you know what, I've never personally dealt with that, but and especially with 21 years under my belt, I've pretty much dealt with it all. It's sad or happy, which however way you look <laughs> at it, it's helped me with my practice, right? It's helped me with dealing with people. I can connect with them and, and be vulnerable and say to them, you know, it's terrible what you're going through, you know, or wow, that's amazing what you're going through. I've had other people do that. And this, what they, this is what they've done. Being able to relate to people is a practice skill, right? Mm -hmm. It's not something, I don't think that just, we're not, we, you and I didn't just wake up one day and we're just great people persons. We're not yeah. great people persons because my mom was great with me. Your dad was great with you. Yeah. It's because we've constantly are, have been developing ourselves through personal development. How how do you believe that's important in regards to being that coach, being the leader of others, being that staff chief of staff? How do you how do you factor personal development into all of that? Oh, I mean, you know, it's what humans do. It's what we're meant to do. So I'm I'm a lifelong learner until the day I die. I want to learn something new on the last day of my life because that just makes you a fuller, fuller human. Um, and it was funny. So my dad is, he's a great guy. He's somewhat reserved. He's kind of demure. He's a very, um, uh, very kind of stoic figure. And my mom was almost the opposite. She was bubbly and outgoing and gregarious and could make friends instantly, which I was always jealous of. And she could connect with people right away. Um, and so she had that instant bond with people. And that's something that I had to learn. I was more like my dad uh, growing up, or probably still am in, in some ways, maybe in like social settings. I don't jump out into, into the crowd and, and I'm a social butterfly, but she cared about people and she wanted to know their story. And she wanted to know where she was coming in in their story and how she could help. And so I think you know, maybe I didn't explicitly kind of take that lesson when I was a teenager or in my 20s, um, but certainly now I can look at that and say, oh, I think that's where I got some of my my way of doing that, like coaching and helping people and really wanting to learn their story and being curious about like where where like where have you come from? Where are you going? What's important to you? All those things. Mom would just mom just exuded that naturally. Um, and so I think I I think I picked up on that um from from her but in terms of lifelong learning um i don't know like i listen to podcasts all the time like your podcast and other podcasts i read i'm reading like three to five books all the time i like learning from different people if they have a specialty in something i'll listen to them but even if just someone's talking about their their perspective on something common i'll always pick out like oh like you see it like that you you would approach it like that you you see these factors the same scenario that I'm seeing, but you're picking up on different things, kind of like witnesses for an accident. You ask 12 people and you get 12 different accounts. Just hearing from perspectives like that, I think it's um, taking the time to listen and learn is a, a way to, to grow and develop. It doesn't have to be like, let me sit for this this 12 month course in this in this field. Like that's one way to learn for sure. But just having an ear to listen to people and get different perspectives, I think is a, a good way to learn as well. Oh, absolutely. Um, I know myself, and this is going to sound kind of selfish, but when I started my podcast, it was started as a passion project three years ago last month. 
And I have interviewed some of the most amazing people from around the world, not just US and Canada, like around the world, I've interviewed such amazing people. And the brand give a heck isn't about one specific thing. Somebody could be on that's a, a life coach, somebody that could be on that's a business coach, somebody could be on that was a survivor of the Cambodian killing fields. Last week's podcast was a survivor of the Holocaust. Oh, I've had gosh. people on that were were uh, Robin Williams' chef, right? Just about burnt his kitchen down. I had somebody on that was a comedian that opened up a few times for Robin Williams, was friends with him when he was alive. I've had, and why do I mention this? Is because podcasting for me was the next elevation of personal development. Not everybody's listening. Are you going to be good at podcasting or even want to do it? But for me, I get, it's selfish. I get to pick and choose. <laughs> like I get massive amount of applications and I, and I read through Emily picked me to apply and I in kind read her profile, checked out her information. And I was like enthralled and thought, wow. And I always think to myself, what can I learn? Because if I know I can learn something, the conversation is going to be genuine. It's going to exude when the listeners are watching on YouTube or listening on their, you know, car radio or home or whatever the case may be. They're listening to the podcast. It's just a connection. And I've learned so much. This has been one of the best school of hard knocks. Besides the fact that I listen to podcasts, I love, I have any given point in time, I have three, four books that I listen to because I do a lot of audible. And I also, I don't know if you agree with this or not. I don't necessarily go right to the end of the book. Sometimes I'm not in the right headspace. And I listen to this book because it's fulfilling something I'm lacking or needing that in, you know, increase in dopamine in my brain or whatever the case may be. Do you find that you um, always stick with the same book or do you jump around with what you do in regards to personal development? Yeah. So what I do, so like I'm reading four books right now um, and I have, so I'm, I'm going to nerd out on you for a second. I have like audible books. I have Kindle books and then I have actual like paperback, like the physical copy because I'm, I'm old school. Yeah. And so in each one of those three categories, I'll have um, three to five books in different categories or in different genres. So like a fiction book, like a mystery, a sci-fi one, a nonfiction, something about how to run a business, something about coaching. And so I'll kind of pick my medium for, for that session. So let's just say the physical books, and then I'll have the four books in that category. And then I'll read a chapter at each book um, and cycle through them. So read a chapter in book one, wow. book two, book three, book four, and then go back to a second chapter. And it just, it just works well for my brain. I don't, I don't know why, but it's easy to kind of like bite-sized chunk each, each chapter. And the books are so different that it kind of gives my mind a rest and it refreshes, it refreshes things. Um, so I love, I love learning that way. Um, and, uh, similar to you, uh, you know, I have my own podcast and I had a neurosurgeon on the other day and I was like, no way in heck <laughs> am I going to be able to talk to, or is a neurosurgeon going to talk to me under normal circumstances? But I learned so much from him. So down to earth and so goofy and funny, which I, which I, again, labeled a neurosurgeon as very, you know, stiff and proper and yeah. medical. Yeah. Um, but learned a, learned a ton from him. And the other, the other facet of personal growth to do with me having a podcast is when I was young, I was terrified of public speaking, terrified. So if it was show and tell in grade school, I would worry about that 
for weeks until I got there and I would start to sweat and my voice would quiver and I would turn pale and then I would hate it for like days afterward because I would play it back in my head over and over. And so that was me as a little, little kid. And I've kind of through sheer force, forced myself into these positions where I had to speak in public. So like team meetings or board meetings or things and um, no way no way would you have convinced me I would host my own podcast one day. No way, like zero. Like I would have laughed in your face. Um, so part of it is, oh, I'm scared of that. I'm scared of that. I want to avoid that at all costs. But you know what? I am going to not be scared of that one day. So I still get a little nervous when I go on guest spots or uh, or I'm hosting my own show, but it's a little bit less now. And I'm like, oh, I don't have to be beholden to that. I don't have to be scared of that. I am going to conquer that. It's going to suck because I sucked my first like, you know, first 10, 15 episodes are really rough to listen to. It's a learning curve. It's a learning curve. Yeah, thank (laughs) you. Um, But it's it's proving um, to myself in a lot of ways like you can you can do this. And uh, I think that's a really good lesson for anyone to strive for. So if something scares you and you're just like, "I, I can't do that and it's holding you back. Um, I would I would take a close look at that and try to look at it in the face because I can sit here now and say, oh my gosh, if I would have stopped after episode five and not continued, I wouldn't have been being able to talk to you. I wouldn't have been able to talk to the neurosurgeon. I wouldn't have been able to have this chief of staff series that's being that's helping people. I would have um, missed out on that for my own personal development, and I would have missed out on helping others because I was scared. And That's so a when huge I think confidence of, booster. Mm-hmm. So I think there's like the inward part where like I'm proving to myself every time I step up to the mic and I get that little uh, like run for the hill. It's like, nope, we're going to do this. And you're actually getting better at this. It's not something you need to be scared of is huge for yourself. The other piece is what you're giving to others. And I think a lot of people discount that too. So in this podcast example, I've had people, we were talking before the show, I've had people from like random places like Finland and Somaliland, like reach out to me and say, I loved your book. I love your podcast. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, no way. Like, are you for real with this? Um, and and they, they've taken time out of their day to say it's helped. So imagine if I would have stopped because I was scared, the, the value that they took from that um, however small it is, they, that wouldn't have been there. And so sometimes when you're scared of something and you're like, oh, it doesn't feel good for me, like maybe and maybe you can prove it to yourself, but also think about the value that you're withholding from people and the help and the perspective you can give others um, if you if you broke through that fear. Yeah, I, I completely agree. One of the things I've taught myself over the years is every time I feel fear is... Fear for me as an acronym is face everything and rise. So every time I feel fearful, I run toward it. And I never used to be. I used to be that person that was scared of my own shadow 20 years ago. I would never think of, I remember first getting into this industry and them asking me to speak on, because I was good in the profession. I was one of the top in North America, not just Canada in regards to financial working with people and finances and stuff and being able to, you know, unpeel that layers of the onion of people's lives and I remember the first time I was ever asked to communicate with a group of people and the room was small thank goodness you know 
30 people, but I had, thank goodness had a suit jacket on because I was sweating my head and I still had <laughs> hair back then. And I was, it was, I thought I literally was going to pass out. Right. And I just kept on hitting the personal development, reading up on what a good communicator is, what a good listener is, how to understand, you know, the tonality of people, body language, being a, a student of human nature. It helped me continually get better. And and you're not about podcasting. I was like, there's no way. And the only reason I got into podcasting, I was asked to be on a show by a lady by the name of Patty Catter. She has two and a half million downloads an episode. She's been podcasting for 16 years before they called it podcasting. Oh She's on televisions around the US. She's on Roku Television, Google, the list goes on. And she asked me to be on her show and she liked our 30 minute short interview about what it's like, what I went through as being, she wanted me to be on to talk about being a single dad and the challenges of what it, it was like, not even about my finance business or my coaching or anything. And she wouldn't, she bugged me for weeks after the fact, she'd reach out and message me. I think you should do a podcast. I want to help you. And she literally was that mentor that I needed to push me, you know, face everything and rise. Sometimes we need somebody to help us rise out of our comfort yeah. zone, out of our fear level. And she, and this podcast exists today because of her. Yeah. Otherwise I would have let my fear grip me and I wouldn't have, I wouldn't be talking to you today and learning all yeah. this great valuable information from you. So I completely agree. Sometimes we just need to just do it. Yeah, right? and I love that. Acron I've heard a whole bunch of, of acronyms for fear and I've never heard that one. So I love that one. And I think there are advantages to fear, right? We have that for a reason. And that in today's modern world, I think we can use it. It focuses us, right? Like, whoosh, like when you're scared of something, that's all you can focus on. And it also gives us a tremendous amount of energy. So all that kind of heightened adrenaline or whatever, that's energy at the end of the day. And so it's being able to kind of channel that into um, active positive steps. So I, I like that acronym um, a lot. So you've been doing this for a long, long time now. Do you, when you're speaking or when you're hosting a podcast or when you're doing a public speaking event, do you still get nervous or you're like, no, no. I kind of have that down now? No, you know, and I had somebody here tell me recently that if you're not still nervous, you've arrived and you're not effective anymore. Yeah. You need to be nervous. You have to, excuse me, that okay. nervous energy come to you to make you so that you're always staying it's so I yes I get nervous that nervous energy I remember the last time I spoke on stage and and this during the pandemic during 2021 um and I was on stage speaking to a group of people and I was off to the side and some people were taking pictures of me and I was you know, there were, the guy went out to introduce me to come out on stage and I was, I was jumping up and down. <laughs> I was vibrating, right. Trying to control my nervous energy and thinking to myself, you've got this, you've been talking in groups of people, hundreds to thousands and the finance circuit. Now you're doing this outside of the finance circuit because my talk was how 2008 was the worst year of my life. And I went out and I, and I delivered and it was only 14 minutes. It's actually um, on YouTube. And I literally was so nervous. And I literally was shaking it and shaking it. And the guy's going, are you okay? <laughs> right? And I said, well, no, I'm a little bit nervous. Well, you 
you've got this. So we, we know you can, you're going to do well. And I said, yeah, but this is what happens before I'm going out. Yeah. So to answer your question, yes, I still get nervous. Okay. okay. Um, even before you came in and it said, Emily's in the room before I let you come into the room, I'm thinking, okay, calm, breathe, get mm. connected. She's a human being just like you. Yes, I am. Right? <laughs> We're going to have a great conversation, but yes, I still get nervous. So that's okay. a great question. Yeah. And if, so if you're still getting nervous, that's good. It means yeah, you have actually gives me confidence. It's like, okay, I'm, you can, it's interesting. You can be nervous and still be very good at something and have that be like a, uh, a marker use, of that. So I use I'll it use to that. fuel me. I use it to fuel yeah. me. I really do. But I, that was the first time I ever spoke when I was going on the stage. And this was a brand new speech. And I had been focusing on and prepping for for weeks. And they said, you can do a 20 minute speech up to that. Please keep it no longer than that. And it ended up being just shy of 14 minutes. And I was nervous. And I practiced, right? Because practice is practice helps be perfect, not 100% perfect, but it helped helps me so that I don't get caught up in the fact that I'm still nervous up on this stage. And oh, am I going to forget to say something? Yeah, I even even in a podcast, this, the planning that I showed you that I do this helps with my <laughs> nervous. Yeah. Jeez. And, and I haven't used a lot of it. The greatest podcast, as I mentioned, I don't have to use it, right? I'll look down as an indicator to make sure I ask points that I want to ask, like to go on to the next thing. Sometimes I don't get to any of it because the conversation is just so raw and real and intimate. It really is an intimate thing to have people share their good, bad, and ugly, like you've been and I've been. And and yeah. sometimes the rest doesn't matter. People are going to search you out just because of your responses. Yeah. And it's so interesting because, um, yeah, I can resonate being a host and you, I, I get nervous for all, all types of episodes. I have solo episodes and guest episodes. And, um, there's some guest episodes where I'm like, what's the next question? And you can see me looking off to the side and like trying to, that's okay. Um, but I've gotten better at it. And, uh, I also, I'm working on speaking slower. My dad listens. He's like, you need to speak slower. No one can understand you. And I'm like, okay. So there's I think that your piece. cadence is fine. I'm, I'm trying really hard. <laughs> That's why it's fine. I'm like, speak slower, speak slower. Um, but I'll tell you for the solo episodes where I'm just speaking direct to camera, holy takes Batman. I have like, you know, there's like lucky take 24 is the one that did it that time. So Can I tell you something I was yeah. told never to do when I do about, I've done maybe five, five, six solo episodes. And I was told by a mentor of mine, don't ever do it again. Just do it. Be your raw, real self. If you make a mistake and what you're just say, you know what? Oh, back up. This is what I meant because you connect more. People know yeah. that you're not a robot, that you're raw and real. And oh man, was that ever tough? Because yeah. I used to have, I used to have that major takes. But here's what helped helped me. I had a friend challenge me, and we're I'm part of a group. I'm still part of that group, a mentorship mastermind group. And they challenged a group of us for 30 days to do daily videos, right? Live. So okay. I did it live off the cuff and found out after the fact, oh, you didn't have to do them live. The person that told you how to do them <laughs> live was wrong. 
Well, after 30 days, he says, do 60, do 90. I did 837 live you videos. I never, I did no so go look on, they're on YouTube. <laughs> I got 500 and 500 and some of them are on my one YouTube channel. I have a subsidiary one where all those live videos are on there. Um, wow. You'd have to go to, if you go to Instagram or Facebook, all 100, 837 of them are there. You can find them. Good and that got me confident. So because I would sweat and then I had a running journal of topics. So then it made me a better listener. People go, well, how does that make you a better listener? Well, because now I'm worried about what am I going to talk about today or tomorrow? And I start listening to people more intently and, yeah. and I'm a note taker. I've been taking notes as we've been, oh, you can't see with the reflection. I've been taking notes as we go along and I, I make little notes so then I had a running thing on my phone with OneNote from Microsoft and I'd, oh, wow. Yeah. There was times I pulled over because <laughs> I'd hear something on a podcast. Don't lose or, it. Yeah, it's an idea. Yeah, because, yeah. you know, like brain farts happen. They're yeah. reality with me. <laughs> yeah, interesting. No, that's so good. I mean, I'll go listen to that for inspiration because, yeah, right now it's, uh, I I have even, I have a slide up. Cause I like mentally, I'm like, I can hide behind my slide. I, there's me in the corner, but I'm not as big when it's like literally just my face. I just, I, for some reason I clam up, but I think that, uh, what you're never telling apologize, me is never apologize for having notes either, or to have questions written down and have to okay. look at it with a guest ever because okay. they're human, just like you are. Why yeah. should you not have preparation to me shows that the person cares. I've been on podcasts as a guest where they're all over the place because they have no preparation. They've never written anything down. Some people can do it on the fly. I'm a person that's very analytical. Yeah. Right. I like having, so I don't mind. I show all my guests. See, this is what I've done. I've had people go, what you're showing me that. Yeah. Why do you that's do that? Because one. that's what I need as yeah. a human being. I need that. I need that. Just don't do it by the fly seat of my pants. Right. Yeah. I, I have to be connected with that person. I need to research them. I need to check out their website, their social media profiles. I need to have some sort of question deck, whether I ever touch it or not. It's a comforting thing. And that yeah. connects me to the guest, right? Because they know that I've put energy into them. So never apologize for having to look at questions. That's a good point. Yeah. I always thought like, never. you know, it's distracting if I'm looking off to the side, no. but no, I think it's, it's cause I'm going to get a good question for you. But never, cool. and I'll tell I'll tell people like I, I normally tell people I never tell you I normally will say to them I'm going to be I'll be looking down writing notes I'm still listening to you, I promise mm -hmm. and I found too another way that helped to connect to people was using my headset right mm -hmm. they're the only person I'm listening I'm not saying you have to do it but for me as a me issue um you know I I take notes down and I like making sure that I'm on track oh and you know, I'll just say, oh, I forgot to ask this. And I'll look down and I'll say, oh, and I don't say it verbatim of how I've written it. I used to yeah. the first, you know, 15, 20. Now I just look down and I see the key words that I put in there. Right. And then that'll spark the next chain reaction of questions or thoughts, comments. Right. So, yeah. you know, you're obviously doing well. You're still doing your podcast. I could see the excitement in your face when you brought or talking about it. So right people listening and watching mine go check out emily's yeah, yeah. Right? after you listen to this one yeah check out i don't i don't yeah, yeah yeah i don't get i don't get i have people on my show that are finance people like me i i don't worry about 
competition because everybody has their own tribe. Oh yeah, for sure. Do. And you have such an eclectic uh, guest set. I mean, the things you were mentioning before, um, I would, I mean, I'm going to go listen to uh, some of the ones you mentioned because I loved Robin Williams. I never saw him in person. My parents actually did live when he was, when he was still around. Um, but uh, I just thought he was a genius and I, he was so funny in his, in his stand-up performances that were televised. So would have loved to see that energy and that just that raw, like he was just all over the place, but he yeah. was so, so into it. I would have loved to see that. Yeah, the the guy that I last interviewed, the one that was uh, that he was uh, a chef for Rob Williams for different events. He actually reached out to me two days ago, and I got to set up a call with him. He's ready to launch his own podcast, and he wants some help because he says I've been on so many podcasts, um, but I like your take on how you deal with your podcast, and I want some advice before I launch my podcast. And he actually lives in Hawaii now. Right. Oh, um, yeah. His podcast is called 50 Tastes of Gray. Right. 50 Tastes. Tastes of Gray. Of gray. Well, yeah, because he's a chef, right? He's a cook. That's right? too funny. 50 and he, yeah, he's, you'll be able to find him. I just can't think of his first name for the no life worries, of me no at the worries, moment. Yeah. It's, but yeah. And then uh, the comedian was on in the first season. Um, I've actually become really good friends of his. He's not a comedian anymore. And him telling his stories yeah. about Robin Williams and um, being nervous and Robin Williams coming up and talking to him. And just some of the, oh, it's wow. just, I've had some really interesting people. I've had some of the most, the, the lady I had on that was um, survived the killing fields of Cambodia. My gosh, that was one of the most emotional episodes I've ever had. That was, yeah. yeah. So there's, I've, that's why my listenership goes up and down because some people don't want to hear that stuff and other people, you know what I mean? So I try to make the, that's another thing in podcasting. That title is so important. It's yeah. really hard to figure it out. Sometimes it hits, sometimes it's a miss. Yeah. Well, I've been, I've been doing this chief of staff series. So I've been thinking about rebranding, but then I want to have all sorts of guests, um, that maybe would help a chief of staff, but also on the on the periphery of that, or mm -hmm. come at it from a different angle. Like here's, I have a, someone coming on who um, helps chiefs of staff with their job search, which is kind of like, she's not a chief of staff herself, but she certainly helps with that. But I think with you, I mean, I don't even know how you go from getting a guest that's Robin Williams chef to like a Holocaust survivor. I think you mentioned like, that's like, that's two different you, podcasts, you, but you can bridge you, it. You, You'd be believe you wouldn't believe though the people that reach out to me, and even today I I sent out notes to about another seven people along with my podcast application after going through about another twenty app people that wanted to be on, and the ones that put in the effort they'll say you know maybe we won't fit but you know reading your pro your profile about how you give a heck and what you've gone through in life we think we would hopefully you know and. I'm thinking, wow, I can't wait to talk to this person. I don't think yeah. how does it tie into my business? I did this as a passion project. I plan on yeah. keeping it that way, right? So yeah. one listener, 50 listeners, thousand listeners, honestly, it doesn't matter to me. I just want people to connect with me so that they can connect with my, you know, my mm. audience. So yeah. We haven't got into so many different questions. I'm gonna skip right. no, forward. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna skip forward though. I was gonna ask you questions about things about your chief of staff and that, but I, what I really want to wrap up the podcast with is two things. I want to talk about your books, if you wouldn't mind. 
right? I would like to know more about hacking executive leadership and an insider's perspective on the chief of staff. Certainly, right? yeah. So hacking executive leadership, I wrote that during COVID because um, we were all locked in and I kept having these frameworks or strategies that had come up over and over and over again in my career that helped me, that helped my colleagues or direct reports or my coaching clients. And I thought, okay, you know, Emily, you want to help more people. How do I do that? Get these frameworks down in a book. And so it's a, a it's a short book. It's a easy read, but it has these frameworks where it's not telling you, here's what you do in this specific situation as a business leader, but here's a framework you can use that'll be applicable to a whole variety of situations. So there's like the failure loop and three circles um, for decision-making and some, some different things in there like that. So that was, that was just getting the leadership frameworks out. And they have, it also has a part on recruiting at the end, which people like. And then an insider's perspective on the chief of staff is because I served in the role of chief of staff and because I had the chief of staff and business background and the coach training, I had a whole bunch of chiefs of staff reach out to me for, for coaching. Um, and so I heard the same thing over and over and over again and said, okay, there's definitely a space for educating people on, first of all, what this role is in the business world, because they've heard it in politics and then also how to be a good chief of staff if you're an aspiring or existing chief of staff. And also if you are an executive who is working with the chief of staff or is thinking about bringing one on, you can you can think about you know if you need one, when you need one and how to bring one on. So that was just, both of those are like, I'm hearing the same stuff over and over and I wanna get this information out to more people. Well, and yet, you know, the funny thing about books, like even my book I wrote during the pandemic and, you know, the greatest way to hide information is put it in a book because yeah. people need to open up and actually read it or listen to it or whatever the case may be. But yeah, it's sometimes it's it's very cathartic. I know when I wrote my book, like you've written too, getting that information out on paper and then going through the editing process with the editors and I'm reading it over again and I'm going like, I had profound aha moments with my own information. And it was kind of interesting. I don't know. What was it like for you? To write it was funny. Books? You mentioned the editing piece. I was like, oh, yeah, like in college, like you edit it, like you look at it once or twice and then it's good. No, 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 no. Like my first one mm -hmm. went through like, oh, I don't even know how many editing rounds. I was like, I can't even this sentence doesn't mean anything to me anymore because I've looked at these words so many times. I don't know where the comma goes, um, but it is. Uh, it is really fun to the first time you see it formatted on a PDF, you're like, oh, that looks like a real book. And the first time you get like a pre-copy from I got it from Amazon and you hold it in your hands was too, just like, yeah. oh, like I created this out of nothing, which was which was awesome. Um, but it's also like it's kind of like a workbench for your brain. Like, you know, you go work out in the gym for your physical fitness, like writing, like making myself put my thoughts on paper and consolidate. How do I convey this? What's the crux of the issue? What are some good ways to convey this? That was like a mental workout each time I would sit and write something down. So it was- It was it exhausting was, actually. It is, it is. It's, like, <laughs> it's exhausting. But it's like the same thing as when you leave the gym and you've like had a really good workout and like, yes, you're tired, but you're also kind of energized. I would, I would be writing and I'd have to walk away because I was just tired. But I was like, oh, that's so interesting. Um, you just have these things inside of you, but to 
get them out onto paper in a way that would make sense to another human being um, is an interesting exercise. So that was really uh, cathartic is not the right word I'm thinking of, but it was very um, it, it took my thoughts to a new level where it's like, OK, now I have to convey this or teach this to someone else. You kind of have to take that knowledge and learning um, and experience to a to a whole different angle. Yeah, you're right. So I got a couple other things here. What is the swizzle concept? <laughs> what does it have to do with leadership? Yeah, so swizzle, if people are going, wait, I've never heard of that. It's because I made it up. That's a word I blurted out one day. Um, and I'll tell you the origin story of that, and then I'll tell you what it means. So it's a way to be creatively resourceful and use all the areas of your life to learn, kind of like what we've been talking about. So I was running around with my team and we had a, a, a all company meeting that afternoon and we had we had our PowerPoint section and we needed to prepare. And I knew that we had had three previous presentations for different groups and for different reasons where the content we needed was in those three. And so I was like, guys, guys, like we don't have time, just swizzle the three texts together and make the new one. And by context, my team knew what I meant by swizzle the three decks together, which was take the relevant slides from each of the three that were relevant to our all hands meeting and then like reformat them, reordered them so they make sense, but basically take the best from over here and make it into something new. The example I love to share about this is when I was in my car and I was listening to a podcast and they were interviewing Floyd Mayweather who is a champion boxer um, in the US, and I don't know anything about boxing, but they were interviewing him and they were trying to get him to say, like, why are you so good? Like, what makes you the champion? Is it like your training or your diet or your coach or whatever? And he finally said, it's none of that, to be honest. What, what makes me a champion is my adaptability. And he said, I can adapt to any opponent, any round and any punch better than anyone else. And that's what makes me the champion. That's what makes me the best. And I about like slammed on the brakes and like, you know, got over to the side because I'm not a boxer, but I can lift and shift that concept into my world, the business world and say, am I being adaptable? Am I being adaptable to the market, to our customers' needs, to my team's needs? We talked about communication and building rapport. Am I adapting to what each person needs and flexing my leadership to make a connection with them? And so I don't know anything about boxing, but I swizzled that concept into, into my world. So it's just a way to be creatively resourceful. And when people kind of open up their lenses and say, hey, you know, where can I take this principle or maybe where can I take a sliver of this thing and move it over here and apply it here to help me? It's just a way to be uh, really resourceful in a creative way. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I love that. And you you talked about the, you know, being resourceful. How many leaders do you know, even even just individuals that don't have the ability to color outside the lines? Yeah. And we've been taught our whole lives. You got to, you got to be within this box. You got to color inside the lines and you no, know, sometimes you have to be able to just be on the spot, be able to react to people. And, and, yeah. you know, I, I practice and worked on that. And again, it's part of that self-development thing, being able to have somebody all of a sudden come to me and I'm in the middle of a conversation and somebody will come up to you and they'll start babbling about somebody else, something else or somebody else. And, yeah be able to pivot immediately, deal with that circumstance and go back and have that congruency, that flow come back. Cause I used to get discombobulated. I'd be all over the place. 
<laughs> I just be like, what, what? Oh man. You know, and, and now I use it in my daily life too, because how many people today in the workforce or even non-workforce get distracted and it takes them 15, 30, an hour to get back into the groove of stuff. They don't have the ability to, to stay focused and get back right without when a little distraction happens. Right. I think there is that task switching. And then there's also like situational leadership. Like what does this moment call for, for me as a leader or for me as a person and being able to adapt to that? Like, Hey, um, you know, just to make up an example, it might be in this team meeting, I need to inform people and make sure they have the information they need and make sure that they know their specific next steps. I got to make sure they have their action points at the end of this meeting. In another meeting, it might be, I need to adapt because my job is to listen in this one. So we've had a lot of stuff going on in this group and I really need to understand what's happening. And so maybe I tee up the conversation and kick off the discussion, but then I really need to listen. And so it's being adaptable in that way. So yes, I think, you know, what is the situation call for? Um, can I be adaptable to the tasks I need to do? And also, can I swizzle like concepts maybe in my work life into outside work stuff or outside work stuff into work stuff or you know home life into whatever all these things it's just we're, we're holistic beings right so it's not like slivers like separate slivers of a pie you want to be you want to be bringing all of that stuff together oh absolutely great response um i had so many other more things i wanted to ask you about the book but what i really like to know is what's the contact lens concept yeah, that's interesting. We kind of have talked about it. So contact lens, everyone listening to this has on a belief set. So a, a set of things you believe, values, beliefs. And the analogy I like to use is it's like a contact lens, because if you put a contact lens on your eye, everything you see is through that lens. So let's just say the contact lens is blue. Well, everything you look at and everything you take in is going to look like it's in a blue shade. If you switch it to green, it'll be green. And so those belief sets affect our, our experiences in the same way. So everything we take in in the world, all these events are going through that lens and going through that belief set. And so I work with clients on taking inventory of that belief set and saying, hey, is this, is this really what you believe um, or is this belief serving you? now and a lot of times what i found is people will have <clears throat> hidden beliefs or stuff that you know was ingrained in them as a kid which we all have you know um and sometimes those are great you can keep those throughout your whole life and they serve you well and sometimes you outgrow them or maybe you know we talked about home life situations it wasn't so good and so that survival mechanism that you had and that scarcity mentality you had was what you needed then to survive but now it's not serving you well now it's actually hurting you and so maybe taking off that that lens or that belief set and and putting in a new one so things like uh don't trust anyone because people are going to stab you in the back or people are going to do you wrong well if you go into a group setting or a team meeting or a business transaction with that belief on you're going to see things in a certain way and you're certainly going to show up in a certain way and make certain types of decisions um, if that's what you need to survive and do well, great. If you say, actually, um, there's a lot of good people in the world, and I think I need to find the, the ones and make good connections with those people who have integrity and who have like a win-win situation between myself and that other person. 
well, you're going to take in those same events, those same conversations in a whole different way. And you're also going to be showing up in a new way. And you're going to be seeing little options here and there and opportunities that you didn't see before. So these belief sets that we have, we're carrying around, everyone listening is carrying around a whole bunch of them. Just making sure that you had a vote in, in what those are, because they are literally shaping your world. No, absolutely. We, we don't have to be defined by the past. We, we yeah. you know, it can be indicative of certain things that we feel, but it's important to find, you know, and if you can't figure it out on your own from listening to a podcast or listening to re reading a book, listening to a book or whatever the case, maybe you're at a conference and something sparks something inside of you, that spark you need to nurture. You need to go and find yourself a good mentor, a good person that a mastermind, even there's some great masterminds have been a part of of all walks of life, you can find masterminds for speakers, masterminds for podcasts, masterminds for everything, right? My point is, is those listening or watching, realize that you don't have to be defined by the imprint that you had from the past. You can change that imprint. You can literally move yourself forward. You can connect yourself with great people like Emily and ask questions, you know, and at the end of the day, if there's no connection, at least you put yourself out there. You didn't let fear grip you and stop you. And then try somebody else. It's no different than anything in life. If you've got a if you've got a bad feeling, then exit stage right, go somewhere else. But if you have a good feeling, then you need to nurture that. You need to water and fertilize that little spark inside of you that you're feeling maybe right now listening to this podcast. And Emily's made you feel a certain way, or I have. And you know, don't don't shut the podcast off and just go back to the same things in life, right? Yeah. Climb, quit being camped in your mindset, or if you're partially camped and you have been working on yourself, congratulations. We're here to help you possibly get to that next elevation of your climb in life. Yeah. And I would say, you know, if you don't like the results that you're getting right now, and you're doing the same things you gotta you gotta switch it up and so different inputs will give you different results and so you have to do something different and sometimes it's like drastically different so it's like okay who can help me do this and i would you know you're a coach i'm a coach i 100 percent believe in the power of coaching i have a team of coaches i work with to just get to my goals faster and to and to fill the gaps on my blind spot but the fit is so important and so even if you're sitting here listening to this and saying okay I, I'm really interested in coaching and Emily's like not the right coach for me. Go find your coach. I would really, really strongly encourage Interview. you to go find your coach. It, it, I'm telling you, I mean, I'm speaking to the choir here, but it can be a game changer. You find the right coach at the right time and that can be a game changer. It'll change the trajectory of your career or your life um, and make a really big difference for not only you, but the people around you. So coaching is a, a great resource. Oh, absolutely. And for those of you that are, your brain is saying that's an expense I can't afford. Actually, it's an investment you need to do. It's not an expense mm -hmm. and you can't afford not to. We really can't. You can stay stuck. If you're happy wherever you're at in your life, then this podcast isn't for you because this is for the people that want to elevate and move forward, whether they have been, as Emily mentioned, they're doing the same thing over and over again expecting a different result, you know, definition of insanity, right? You can't do that in life and expect differences. You need to put yourself out there, 
face everything and rise, get past the fear that's been slowing you down, reach out to people. And if that person doesn't connect with you, move on. Just the secret is, is taking that baby step all the time, every single day and doing one thing that's going to change your mindset. And then at night, reflect on your life, your day of, of your life. And what are you grateful for? Oh, I listened to this podcast. I read this book. I had this coaching call. I had this mastermind. I had somebody at work compliment me about how great how great of a job I did. And they use that as a spark, your catalyst to continue to grow the next day, right? Yeah. Well, I think we need to try um, things as you say. And sometimes we're going to quote unquote fail or what people think of as failure. One of the best quotes, I love this quote though. It's, I'm successful because I'm willing to fail more times than you you even try. So I'm successful because I'm willing to fail more times than you even try. And I think the people who put action behind behind things um, just just get further than people who sit still and and try not to try not to move. So yeah, yes, I, love you I would encourage you if it's coaching, if it's something else you're working on in your life, to take take that next step and take that baby step. And if you take baby steps consistently, where it's like ah. Oh, this doesn't move the needle, but I'll do it. It's progress. You put those together and oh, small wins add up faster than you think. Just let me tell you. So hopefully just be encouraged by that. Go get your small win each day and it'll add up faster than you think. Yeah. And put the effort in because luck is, is something that doesn't exist. I have a reel that I'm going to release either today or tomorrow that I took out as a cut snippet of, out of my pod, one of my podcasts and I talk about it all the time, like, you know, oh, you're so lucky. Oh, you know, it must be nice. You know, one of my friends did one yesterday on that. about it must be nice. Well, all those people you're saying that about, you don't know what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah. You know, oh, you're an overnight success. Yeah, I started 30 years ago. I'm not overnight <laughs> success. What are you talking about? I started personal development in 1993. I'm going to do it till the day I take my last breath, similar to Emily, right? Don't rely on luck. Don't rely on, you can be a praying person. I am, I pray, but it's involved in ingrained in my, in my gratefulness and gratitude exercises, but I still need to go do the work. Yeah. Well, it's, Nobody's going to gift it, it to you. I forget who said it, but someone's like, it's funny. The harder I work, the luckier I get. And so it's, it's, uh, it's putting, it's, it's putting the reps in. Yeah, basically. It's true. Yeah. So, so Emily, if you had to give our listeners one last closing message, what would you tell them in regards to giving a heck and never giving up? Ooh, yes. I would say you, you have a purpose and you're meant for something. And so you need to go and find that and then, and then do something about it. So kind of like what we've been talking about is if you have an inclination towards something or a motivation to serve in a certain way, don't just discard that. Don't not listen to that. I would, first of all, sometimes you have to get quiet to hear that and then go do something about it and put some action behind it. So those are the people who move and shake the world and, you know, and and contribute to their family and their community and uh, the overall society. And we need more people who actually take action and put um, and and don't just talk the talk, but they walk the walk. And so if you're sitting there saying no one cares about me or I don't matter, that's that's not true at all. You do matter. You do matter a lot. And finding what you're supposed to be doing and then putting action, putting the reps into that is is really, really important. And we're all counting on that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, 
action cures fear. Very simple statement, right? Yeah. The, the fear that you have can be beaten down just by taking some action. And if and one thing I'll wrap up with is saying, if you're having people when you're excited about an idea or you're you got involved in something that might elevate your life and you're sharing it with them and their response is always negative, change your associations. Yeah. That would be something I'd 100% recommend to everybody. I coach on it all the time on how people can change their associations because it's not how many people in your, or you're associated with. It's about what you associate with, what you watch, you listen to. And on top of that, then who you associate with, because it all affects our mindset. So sometimes you need to check that, right? Absolutely. And you can actually, you need to put that in check and, and realize that you need to be around a tribe of people that are going to always be supportive and go, maybe they give you a, a flip side to what you're thinking, but they're compassionate and kind about it. They're not just being negative. Yeah. Well, something tactical I'd say to people is take inventory of your inputs. So what are you watching? Um, who are you spending time with? You know, what are your activities? Are those enriching you? And getting you closer to the person you want to be or are they detracting or kind of you're treading water so i mean a lot of people get sucked into i just want to check my feed i'm just going to have a quick look four hours later you know you're sitting there and you've been stewing in whatever is whatever's on the news or social media or whatever that day and so it's it's maybe taking a look at those inputs because what goes into you what you listen to what you see what you think about is going to be what uh you know what is uh, what you exude and how you show up in the world. So take inventory. Yeah. Taking inventory of what you were saying though, or four hours later. Yeah. Mr. And Mrs. Procrastination are going to help you achieve your goals. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We all procrastinate to a certain extent, but thank you so much for being on. Um, I want to respect your time and listeners time. What's the best way that people can reach out to you, Emily? Certainly. The best place is my website. That's the hub for everything. So it's nextlevel.coach. So nextlevel, all one word, dot coach. And you can reach out to me there. There's uh, information on my books and the podcast and some free resources that hopefully help people out. And uh, you can find that on my website. Fantastic. I'll make sure for those new to the show, um, whether you're watching or listening, go to www.giveaheck.com. Go to my portal uh, where it says podcast, go into there. You'll see Emily's picture. You'll see um, the show notes below the abbreviated show notes with all the links to what she just um, referenced to so that, you know, it's easier for you not to forget. Just remember, giveaheck.com. If you're here listening to my podcast, give a heck is easy to remember. Just put a .com on the end of it and you're going to be sailing right into my page and into the podcast area and you'll be able to find Emily. Any last closing words? No, I mean, thank you. First of all, you have a great title. Uh, it goes with your name and it goes with uh, the theme of your show. So that's a, that's an awesome title. But it's been um, great talking to you at the beginning. You said this was going to be a conversational podcast and everyone says that, but this one actually actually was. So I appreciate you and, and what you're doing and having me on. Yeah, thank you so much for giving me some of your time. I really do appreciate it. And I know my listeners will as well. So thanks so much for being on. Give a heck, Emily. I appreciate your time and sharing some of your experiences so that others too can learn it is never too late to give a heck.
Very strange. I'll have to get that edited out. It won't stop recording. Oh, it's on us forever. It likes what it hears. <laughs> Thank you for taking time out of your day and listening to Give a Heck. If you find value, I'd appreciate you sharing with your friends and family so they too can learn how to live life on purpose, not by accident. So you do not miss the next episode. Please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and please also post a review. I look forward to reading your comments. This has been Dwight Heck. If you want to check out other podcast episodes or today's show notes, please check out my website, giveaheck.com and until next time together let us all strive to give a heck